Hi Robin and good afternoon or good evening rather to everybody here. Um, welcome to ASD's Sunday Space Twitter Spaces sessions. Um, for those who are joining us this afternoon or this evening, we'll be joined by an incredible, incredible activist and feminist thinker and leader, um, both in the legislative space as well as in business. Um, for those who are just recently joining us, I am going to follow the lead from our previous host, uh, who always says, please do share um, the, what is it, the link right down on your bottom right and invite fellow Twitter folk to join us this evening. Robin, introduce yourself. I am Sasebo Kumalo, by the way, and I'll be co-hosting this uh, session this evening with Robin. <laughs> You've been taking notes from Jimmy, I think. <laughs> I have. I have, Robert. <laughs> um, everyone knows, well, not everyone, but I'm Robin. I'm one of the founding members of ASD. And, uh, yeah, we're really, really excited to continue with the discussion we had on Friday, which was just, I can't stop thinking about it. And I just want to let Brenda know that I have invited you to be a speaker. So if you can just accept that. Otherwise, you can also request it, and then I'll grant it. I feel very powerful currently. Robin, while we wait for Brenda to join us on the speaking side of things, I think it might be useful just to um, sort of catch folks up on Friday's discussion, which, um, as Robin indicates, was a really, really cool uh, thought-provoking and rich discussion, which is up on the ASD's YouTube um, platform, so folks can go and check that out. We basically, on Friday afternoon, just traced the kinds of strides that South Africa has made in terms of feminist legislation, um, and of course, what we still need to do. And I think today's conversation really is going to be a chilled session, yes, but sort of picking up some of the threads from the conversation uh, on Friday afternoon. Um, for those who are just joining us right now, my name is Sasebo Kumalo and welcome to the ASD session. Um, as I say, it's a continuation of last week, of this past Friday's uh, session, rather, a conversation which is already up on YouTube, which is titled Legislating for Change, Women, Democracy and Freedom. Um, and basically, we just sort of traced the histories of the legislative progress that we've made in the country um, in both useful and tangible ways, and maybe what are the practicalities that still await us as a country in terms of really making those gains. And of course, it's useful to note to the folks who are joining us this evening that we're having this conversation on the eve of Women's Day, which is tomorrow, uh, more importantly to note for the ASD community is to say that for us as a collective, we do not take this discussion to be a tokenistic discussion. We will have a running discussion series this month on this very particular topic, and we will be asking and inviting folks to contribute their thoughts and their ideas. Um, and maybe just to kick us off, um, I don't see Brenda just yet on my side here, Rob, and I wonder if you see her. 
But I wonder if you just yes, I do. I can see her. Excellent, excellent. She's Madam Madam Page. So Brenda, are you online with us? Good, good, good evening. Yes, uh, Robin and Sister, I'm, I'm online. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brenda. Thank you very much. Um, and just maybe to start us off, Brenda, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to repose the question that I posed to you on Friday evening, and I'm going to pose it both to Robin as well as to you. Which is to say, on the eve of Women's Day in the year 2021, I'm curious for both of you what it means to be a feminist and what feminism means for both of you, um, and then we'll pick the discussion up from there. Brenda, might we start with you, please? Good evening, uh, Dumelang uh, Sanbonani, and I hope it's a good evening to all of us. Um, and thank you for this opportunity and. the space to to share and hopefully build a feminist uh, country that is founded on principles of empathy kindness and and equality and i've answered your question already sisako that for me feminism is about equality and recognizing that women are equal partners in everything that we do um for the longest of time we had to fight for our existence and for our voices to be heard. And um, and to find that voice has taken over 100 years for, for that recognition, just because of our gender and the sex. So you denied us the, the right to exist, the right to vote, the right to um, sexual reproductive rights, the right to participate in political decision-making, the right to participate in the economy, the right to have a voice even in marriage, just because we we, 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 we are women. And, and so what we are advocating for and we should continue to advocate for is a, it, it's, it's a recognition and acceptance that women are firstly and 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 importantly that they are human beings and and that we cannot use the powers that we have to deny them the voice that they 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 need to have we continuously mute their voices because of their sex not anything else but because of their sex and gender and so for me it's 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 about accepting and recognizing that they are human beings first and that they do have a voice and that voice has to be heard and be heard all, at all times. We can use all kinds of systems and structures to try and meet that voice, but that voice has to be acknowledged because we have a constitution that says that we are all equal before the law and we have to ensure that there's equality of the sexes of all the genders irrespective of my sexual orientation, my age, or my uh, religious beliefs, and we have to stay true to that to that philosophy and on those principles. Thanks for that, Brenda. Robin, would you like to take a stab at this question? Well, there's already so much that Brenda said that resonates with me, but just to elaborate further, you know, I think a lot of people like to ask now, what is the point of feminism? You know, aren't we equal? Aren't isn't isn't there some kind of meritocracy where it doesn't actually matter? But there are fundamental ways in which it matters. And, you know, on Friday we ended our session and Brenda was 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 making a point about the importance of civic education, particularly when it comes to changing the way that things are and improving upon them. And 
Recent statistics show that 132 million girls still don't have access to education and are forced out of school worldwide. And then, you know, when you start to look at other statistics, gender-based violence or the fact that there was a global report published in March that said 90% of men and women who were who were interviewed hold a bias against women, especially in areas like politics, education and business. So there are just these ways in which women continue to be perceived and they are nefarious and they are persistent. And so for me, until we actually start to get to changing those fundamental signifiers of inequality, the need for feminism and certainly intersectional feminism is just a no, it's a no brainer. Thanks for that, Robert. And you sort of segue quite nicely into today's discussion. As I said, we did host a conversation last week, Friday afternoon um, for our listeners who are joining us this evening. And that conversation kind of ended off with some of the practicalities, as it were, around what it is that we can begin to do to think about shifting these realities that Robin has just indicated in terms of the alarming statistics that continue to exclude women um, specifically from substantive participation, not only in democratic processes, but also just as equal citizens within the polity. And Brenda, I know you had already begun sort of giving us some insight into this and you sort of privileged the role and function of civic education. I wonder if you would kind of elaborate on that for us this evening in terms of how do you envision the function of civic education in overturning some of these challenges that we are confronted by when it comes to the question of equality and equity in terms of gender uh, parity in the polity and participation? Siseko, um, when we look at the constitution, I mean, it guarantees certain rights and responsibilities to all of us. So I, I, as a South African, have the right to dignity, the right to life, and the right to um, fair treatment and the right to safety, right? So that's that's fundamental, that the basis of my existence and being a citizen in this country is founded on those principles, right? But on the daily basis, those principles are trampled upon by different power structures. So let's just take the right to safety, for instance, um, that a woman in this country is not safe to walk the streets freely because at any given time, she might be catcalled, she might be a, a, a assaulted, she might be groped, she might be raped, um, she might be physically assaulted. And when, you, when, when, when that happens, what, 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 how do you ensure that the trampling of those, of those rights, that someone is held accountable? And, 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 and that has been the challenge for how, for how we translate the theory into practice. We exist as wise for Africa precisely for that reason, that for the longest of time, women have not been able to exercise their constitutional rights to enforce this rise and to hold the power accountable, right? So you can't say to me that I've got the right to safety, but my safety is compromised and is trampled upon daily. And there are no consequences for those that are charged with the responsibilities of implementing and enforcing and ensuring that that constitution is alive and is meaningful 
to the majority of South Africans. On the flip side of that is that the majority of South Africans and, and the, in, the, the, the women that we interact with are not fully conversant with the provisions of the constitution. They're also not conversant with the, the supporting legislative framework and policy framework that gives them the right to be free of violence. Right? So Domestic Violence Act, the Sexual Offences Act, the, the um, PEPUDA, which is the promotion of discrimination and, 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 and prevention of discrimination and promotion of, of equality act, and all the other attendant legislation. So once you have a citizenry that is not fully aware of their rights and responsibilities, but you have the statute and the statute books that exist, but those statute books are not a reality and, and, and living in the hearts and minds of South Africans who are going to have a challenge. Now, this is where civic education is important because it's, it's, it's important for all of us to understand what those rights are and how do we enforce them, right? But if you are not aware and you don't know, you will you you will suffer and 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 um, be, your rights be trampled upon because you don't know how to ensure that those rights are not trampled upon by those in in power. So for me, uh, as we had this discussion on Friday, is your organizations, ADS, Wise for Africa, and the many other organizations that are in communities and working with communities is about educating and talking about what are the provisions of the constitutions? How do you enforce these rights? And, and, and how do you go about to enforce these rights? For instance, many women in this country, when they have to apply for a protection order, I mean, if you have to apply for a protection order in this country, it's a... Uh, I mean, I don't know how many of you have had the experience of applying for a protection order. It's a nightmare for many women. Just the process of going to a court and being subjected to a clerk of a court who is indifferent in and is not interested in understanding your issue. And just that environment of a court is, is it, most women find it intimidating. And that's why we do this work as Wise for Africa, because we hold the, the women's hands in ensuring that once they want to apply for a protection order, we are there with them and we take them through the, the process and we make it as painless as possible, right? And then ensure that they, they, they receive a protection order. But it shouldn't be like that. But the reality of South Africa is that for you to access this right, you have to have one knowledge of your rights and understand those rights and also possibly have the resources to be able to ensure that you enforce your rights in terms of the legislation that, that obtains in the country. So it's it's incumbent upon all of us to continue to ensure that we understand these legislative and re the, the policy frameworks that exist to protect the rights of women, to advance the empowerment of women, to advance the emancipation of women. But also, once we know about these rights, challenge them in different um, fora. For, I mean, you can challenge the constitution and we are doing that 
on a daily basis. We have taken the South African Police Service to court to, to ensure that they meet their basic minimum constitutional obligations. Once they fail a woman in a domestic violence case or in a rape case, we challenge all of that because we, we it's important for that to happen because we want to build a feminist jurisprudence. Thanks for that, Brenda. Um, Robin, let me come to you. And, and, and Brenda, I want you to think about this particular question um, just as, as Robin is sort of giving us her thoughts about this. So as but one example around this notion of civic education, specifically in addressing issues of gender-based violence and gender parity and equity in South Africa, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development has this initiative titled Under the Tree Dialogues for Men and Boys. And basically, this is a national program that has been rolled out since 2019 with a specific focus on areas that have the highest levels of violence against women. And of course, it's aimed at shifting the culture, as we had indicated in our discussion on Friday afternoon, Robin. And I wonder if you think that this particular initiative, as driven by the DOJ, and of course, this is just one of a plethora of these, is sufficient enough in terms of facilitating that kind of cultural and attitudinal shift that we want to see specifically from men when it comes to the question of gender-based violence and, of course, what has been termed by some of our leading thinkers in this country a nightmare. Robin, would you care to take a stab at that? So I think, so obviously I think there's gender-based violence in this country is such a multifaceted problem. You know, it's, there is toxic behavior and toxic attitudes that are rooted in patriarchy. So it's, um, it's, it's not even obvious all the time. It's subtle. It's in perceptions, it's in phrases, it's in all manner of things. So you know, I don't want to be someone who in any way, shape or form speaks against or discourages any effort that's being done gender-based violence or to in some way, shape or form engender culture of change and, and have conversations that possibly contribute to that. Do I think it's enough? I don't. And, you know, again, I, I say it's not because, again, the, the multifaceted nature of the beast is that it's got to be on multiple levels, in multiple capacities, just constantly ongoing. The other thing that worries me is, you know, I'm not sure as to exactly what the nature of such talks um, were was, but if it is just a space in which only men were talking to men, I think there are times when that kind of conversation can be very helpful and very powerful. But I also am hesitant to commit to the, erase, the erasing of women's voices and particularly because, you know, I think, let's do better gents. How often do we hear that? Every woman's day, every woman's month, you know, let's do better gents. But the problem is ongoing. And so I've got to in some way, you know, I've got to question, I've got to interrogate the meaning and the ability of that message to be absorbed when it is just being positioned as like, okay, well, I'll just do it behind closed doors or I'll just make sure that I hit her somewhere that no one will see or whatever. So, you know, again, I don't want to be someone who's seen to naysay against some effort to address it, but it's not enough and possibly could be a little bit problematic. That said, you know, trying to get men and boys to have conversations that frees them from the negative impacts of, of the patriarchy 
and and toxic masculinity. I'm all for that as well. So <laughs> I think I've talked myself in a circle and both not answered and answered. <laughs> Thanks for that, Robert. And I think it inspires something quite interesting um, in terms of the discussion that we're having here today, which is to sort of get the men in the room to come to the party and to come to the conversation. And one of the things that I would like for us in the space to think about, specifically as men, is how do we begin to change these attitudes and to change the socio-cultural underlying currents that perpetuate violence against women? And I'm also going to invite some men in the room, as well as women, of course, to please think about this. And if something does come to mind, to sort of raise your hand and request to sort of give us an idea of this. But before I get to that, Brenda, I'm, you know, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Do you think that, yeah. for instance, some of the stuff that's been done by us, by our government and by the state machinery is sufficient, which is also giving me to, leading me rather to a subsidiary question, which is to say, if it is enough, would we then have organizations such as Wise for Africa that is necessarily championing this kind of work of educating both men and women about the question of gender parity in the country? I mean, uh, what has been done by government is, can never be enough. And, and I, I think the tragedy for me and the travesty in all of this with government, this government in particular, is that it's very performative and it's a performative culture. So we, we play up to the gallery and say the right things because we think that's what we, we, we need to hear, right? So if I give an example of how we got to this point where we have a national strategic plan on gender-based violence, was precisely because women had to put their bodies on the line to get this government to once and for all have a roadmap on how we tackle gender-based violence and discrimination and inequality in this country. That led to civil society organizations themselves driving that process and decided that we're not going to leave it to government alone. Because if you do, the reality is that five years down the line, we'll still be talking about putting together a national strategic plan. So civil society drove it and drove it hard because they understand, they understood the importance and the agency around having some roadmap on how all of us can rally behind the changes that you want to effect. So you have a national strategic plan that has been adopted. But as we speak today, on, on the eve of the National Women's Day in 2021, this government has not even put the resources towards the implementation of that strategic plan. That has not stopped civil society from continuing to do the work and implement that national strategic plan. Because the approach of the national strategic plan is that it is not a plan that is singular in, in articulation and in, in, in implementation. The strategic plan is a, a plan that has to be implemented by all of us, 60 million Africans, right? And you have to find your way into it, right? So if you are a strong uh, believer in prevention, for instance, you then have to focus your attention on the prevention in intervention and strategies. If you are someone who believes in changes of law and policy, you have an avenue to do that and, 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 and affect changes. If you are in CAN support, th there's room for you to look at what are the CAN support services that you can bring on board to ensure that uh, 
we 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 um we attend and 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 support victims and survivors of violence critically i think for all of us we have to spend effort time and resources in the prevention of it that's key that we don't want to have any any woman in this country or lgbtqi uh, individual being subjected to violence and we have to find ways of stopping it from happening from the get go but we also have to have systems in the form of legislation and policy that once it raises its head and it happens how do we deal with it there must be consequences there must be um accountability so all of us have got a stake as a nation as a country to ensure that women of this country the lgbti community are free of of violence and we what, and and when you look at the, the national strategic plan it really diagnoses the structural drivers of violence we understand what leads to violence in this country so we have diagnosed it correctly and we we know it's from patriarchy to um to substance abuse to everything else and once we have diagnosed it correctly we then know what are the correct interventions that we must make one of those interventions is that there has to be a conversation with men in this country right so if you're going to have dialogues as the department of justice what are those dialogues and and and, and maybe what we have not held this government to account for is that once we have had a dialogue have we ever asked what are the what is the impact of these conversations and dialogues that we are having are they making the shift that we are we are looking for or we do it as i said earlier because we have said in our uh, app as government annual performance plan that this is what we are going to do once the uh, the auditor general comes to to audit us they can look at it and say oh yeah you have ticked the box and you 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 did have five dialogues as you had set out in the beginning so i think for me is there there has to be some authenticity in the work that we do and especially this government that it cannot continue to perform for, uh, to the gallery there has to be something of substance and we have to monitor and be accountable all of us in the work that you do that we do there's been a lot of money that has been put in in gender based violence but if i had to if i were to ask the question of this money that has been put in uh, what is our return on investment why is it that we are not seeing the shift in the decrease of violence against women and in fact of um a society that believes in equality and equity what is stopping us from doing that when we have pumped in so much money and resources into it so it, it's it's the next year two years three years from now we should be able to answer the question and say of the millions that we have been putting in here are the results that we see because we've got a base of what we are working from and we can then demonstrate in three years time that we can see results and we can see a better understanding and a better working environment and a better uh, interaction between men and women lgbtqi and 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 all the affected parties in how they relate to each other and conduct themselves thanks for that brenda um and there's so many things that you're touching on that are sort of inspiring some thoughts in my mind the first is to say 
in, 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 in many respects, have we actually taken into account, I guess, the historical configurations and reconfigurations of what Pumla Gola is, but an example, has termed a nightmare in South Africa? And if we have, how effective have been our response strategies to those histories? In the second instance, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you're suggesting to us that there needs to be, to a certain degree, as you say, a stock-taking process, which is to say we've invested so much in the kind of work that we want to do to turn these cultures around. How do we do that and what have been the benefits on those investments? What's been the return on those investments? And, of course, there's a third component uh, which I think is always very thorny because of the scourge of gender-based violence in this country, which is, of course, the function or the component of the LGBTIQ community within this debate, specifically of gender-based violence. And I'm going to pose what seems to be maybe a, 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 a naughty question on my part, right? Um, Brenda, you indicate that indeed this we're having this discussion tonight on the eve of Women's Day. And again, as I have indicated before, we don't want to be seen to be sort of playing into performative kind of uh, discussions that just happen once annually or in a certain month, as it were. I wonder then, what is supposedly the role or the place um, of the LGBTIQ, LGBTIQ community within the gender parity conversation, but more specifically in the month of women, in the month whereby the discussions and conversations around women, equality and equity in South Africa, what then is the role of the LGBTIQ community? And can they be centered? Um, you know, at some point in time in my very short career, um, I, I, I had a conversation in one of my classes with my students and the question comes up is to say, can a man, for instance, be seen to be a feminist? Um, and I wonder if the both of you would take a, a sort of a stab at answering that question, which is to say, can a man be seen to be a feminist? And if indeed he can, what is it that a man can be able to do to advance feminist struggles? And if he can't, if you would care to elaborate on some of the objections against that, and I've had a couple of students in my classes who have indeed objected to that. And on that note, I'll also say colleagues and friends who are joining us in this ASD Spaces session, please note this is not a lecture, so we would, we would welcome some thoughts and opinions as well on this particular uh, discussion. Brenda, would you start us off? Is a man, can a man identify as a feminist? And if he can, what is his role? If he can't, um, can you give us a bit of some substantiation around that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think a man can be a feminist. And, and um, once you subscribe to the values of equality and equity, you, you, you are a, a feminist, right? Um, what the difference, and I'll tell you why your students will, will have a problem, is that, um, and it, it happened with the, the 2018 total shutdown march, where we were clear that we have allies in... In, in, in men, but uh, what we wanted to do was to locate and center women in the struggle, right? So once you you are an ally, we, we always ask that men must understand that women must lead 
in that in that space, right? So because what what tends to happen is that once you 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 bring in everyone else in, into the space, um, the way patriarchy works and male privilege works is that then they they want to take over and and have control, and that's what we we want a recognition and acceptance from men that they can relinqu- relinquish control, relinquish control and understand your privilege, that your privilege has given you the, the, the opportunity to command the spaces and, and the many spaces over, over the years. And all that you are asking for is that once we, 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 have, we, we fight for this space as women as, and as LGBTQI communities, is that give us the opportunity to lead these spaces and, and you come along as, as, as our allies. And that's, that's about it. Robin, your take on this, please. So I'm in, I'd also like to open this to everyone who's listening. If anyone has any two cents they'd like to chip in, you can just request a talk and I'll grant it. And then, you know, we're not, we're not just um, expecting you to sit and listen to us for an hour. But um, so if you look in the dictionary and you look at the definition of feminism, it's very simply put, it just says that it's the advocacy of women's rights on the ground of sexual equality. And if you look at um, a much-loved or very infamous slash famous uh, feminist writer, Bell Hooks, she defines feminism as a movement to end sexism, sexist exploitation and oppression. And I think if you look at those two really, really simple definitions of feminism, you would probably be hard put to find people who weren't happy to agree to that. I mean, I think possibly they'd agree to it without actually understanding the ins and outs, but also meaning men having to give up privilege, because we know that when it comes to people giving up privilege, that becomes the kind of catch where they no longer seem to want to play the part. But at the end of the day, any man who is prepared to not only kind of recognize his privilege and stand up against sexism, sexual and domestic violence, socially constructed gender roles and women's oppression, they can call themselves a feminist, they can call themselves an ally, they can call themselves whatever, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, we get so caught up in the lexicon in terms of these ideological battles that, you know, I don't want to sit and argue online about whether or not a man can call himself a feminist. Call yourself a feminist, but do the work. At the end of the day, we've got to, you know, it's, it's the work that's going to define whether or not we are what we say we are, whether or not we're capable of doing what we want to do. And that's what we've got to start focusing on. How about you, though? I'd like very interested, particularly since you are the man engaging in this discussion. Do you consider yourself to be a feminist? And if not, why? If so, why? <laughs> Thanks for, for, for throwing uh, the, the ball back in my court, Robin. Um I, I, I do consider myself to be a feminist. Um, and... Why do I consider myself to be a feminist? First and foremost, I identify as a gay black man in contemporary South Africa. Um, and I think that the LGBTIQ community has faced incredible injustices. Um, and in many respects, those injustices, while we are, while are not comparable to those that women have faced over the centuries and over millennia for that matter, I do believe that the historical context specificities of South Africa create a situation or a context whereby what I call even in my own scholarship feminized bodies are always at the receiving end of violence, right? Um, 
And I think for anybody, you know, and, and here one can take Ngozi Chimamanda Adichie's position to say that everybody should be a feminist, um, you know, or, 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 or take Bell Hooks's position as well. You know, she has also argued along similar kinds of lines. But I do believe that if one takes an intersectional approach to the question of how politics have been arranged since the Westphalian establishment, um, I believe that in most instances, the state functions to privilege very particular bodies, masculinized bodies, um, bodies that have always weaponized violence uh, in very, very specific ways. And mine has been a commitment to undo that, right? So some of the thinking that informs me is the work of Drusilla Cornell, for instance, whereby she propositions for what she calls um, an ethical relationality to the self and to the other, right? And the other can be any and everybody because she opens it up in a very, very interesting and beautiful kind of way. It can be the other who is my neighbor. It can be the other who is different from me in terms of age, in terms of gender, in terms of sex, in terms of race. And I think that there needs to be a certain level of ethical relationality between how I relate to myself and to that particular other. So long and short, yes, I do identify as a feminist. And I think that a lot of the generative work that has come out of the academy comes out as a result of a lot of individuals thinking intersectionally, whether it be quite specifically on the question of feminism itself, or more broadly around culture, around history, and of course around what it is that inspires and engineers those two things, culture and history. So what is the language that we use to talk about othered peoples and othered bodies? What language and what representation do we use in the depiction of those other bodies. And I think for me, as a feminist, the, the work really starts not necessarily in changing the minds, but in beginning to shift the thinking at the level of how it is that one relates to the other on an emotional level, right? On an emotive, affective level. So the long and short of it is to say, yes, indeed, Robin, I am a feminist. Um, and on that note, I would encourage and welcome further contributions from folks who have just joined us. Um, and at this point, I really would like to sort of engage the audience. Um, and as we are waiting for people to request to, to sort of opine on the questions, Brenda, I'm going to come back to you here just to really guess, get a, a, a sort of a broad stroke image of what Wise for Africa does and, and how it is that it really sort of is engaged in the backbreaking work of doing that kind of activism of changing both hearts and minds. Brenda? Thanks, So our work, so we do advocacy work. So you, you know, we, we are on a daily basis, we, we demand accountability on those that are given the responsibility to ensure that um, they give effect to the policy framework and the legislative framework that we have. Um, and that it's it, it work that happens on a daily basis. The second aspect of our work is really um, trying to build a feminist jurisprudence by taking cases of many women who find themselves had done by the, the the justice system in this country. Uh, so we take cases from 
whether it's a protection order, assistance with the protection order, whether it's in uh, custody of children, and and you will you will you will find that most of the 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 custody issues and divorce issues arise out of the violence, right? Um, so by the time we appear on behalf of a woman in 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 the children's court or in the maintenance court or in a divorce matter violence was was sort of part of 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 what was happening in 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 the common home um so we do that work and we take we also take cases that do you know that gives a strategic um you know leg on especially things that you know cases that are going to change um they the thinking and 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 that can assist us in building a different jurisprudence um so when we go to court in some of these cases we we're forcing magistrates and prosecutors to think differently about some of these matters it's not a straight line so when when we put together papers uh, and we appear before a judge or a magistrate uh, we, we 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 are deliberate in bringing an argument that is it's 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 centered around feminist principles and and philosophies, and we're finding that um, when you do that, you you one uh, you know I mean it was very uncomfortable for a lot of magistrates to understand where we are coming from, and we don't take no for an answer. So you know it's easy for a magistrate to shoot you down and say no. But then we go further because we want you to to give us reasons why you you are not seeing this thing in in the manner that we are asking you to see it. Because for a long time, judges and magistrates they approach some of these matters in a straight line and they bring their own biases and inadequacies in into into this whole in, into a particular case, and we force them to confront their own prejudices. And 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 start to to understand and bring in a certain language into into our legal system. So that's that that's that's the work we do. We then have what you call harass map, which is a map that we build in that pins uh, incidences of violence in this country. And I will I will encourage anyone else if you know of a case of someone you know, and and it's actually anonymous. You don't you don't put the name of the individual. You just put the incidents when it happened and where it happened, so that we start to see, in uh, you know, spots of violence in this country where it, ha- where, 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 where it happens. And in that way, it helps us to uh, design I- interventions. I mean, we have a, you have the police, African police system, uh, police service that have told us that we've got 30 hotspots. And when you, when you ask the question to the South African police service, what, how they came about, uh, de- defining these areas and uh, as hotspots, and you look at all of them, mostly are found in black communities, and and especially, um, you know, um, the so-called squatter areas or or or, or uh, settlements that are informal, um, and where there's no infrastructure, there's absolutely nothing, and so. The violence that 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 happens in those areas that's that's the determination and based on reported and I, I want you to underscore and underline that reported cases that's how the police have come to the conclusion that these areas are are, are hot spots. Our contention is that South Africa is a hot spot in general. I mean, every area is is a hot spot. 
but they had they they have decided to carve out these 30, 30 areas as 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 as, as hotspots. So our work is 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 literally challenging some of these um, conclusions and findings, and be able to produce evidence based research around uh, and challenge the South African police system or challenge justice or challenge any other uh, government departments in their findings and conclusions and, and find alternative uh, solutions in, in some of, of, of what we discover as we, 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 we do these cases. So Brenda, I'd actually like to ask, because I, you know, one tenets, we are the Alliance of Social Democrats. And so what we try to do is to engage with and try to find solutions or, or, or understandings of things through the lens of social democracy. So one aspect or one pillar of social democracy is the idea of active citizenry, you know, the idea that every single individual, to your point about it going to, it's needing to take 60 million South Africans to eradicate our society of gender-based violence. You know, within our individual capacity, I think often it's it's we are we do tend to end up feeling a little bit helpless and a little bit full of despair at the state of things. And and obviously, as time passes and and it takes longer and longer for something meaningful or concrete to be done about gender-based violence, we do tend to lose a bit of hope because the the names of the people who have passed on and been murdered and just lost to this war. Um, those those add up. So in your opinion, each of us as individuals, you know, what kind of ways can we start to be part of the solution? What kind of ways can we within our individual capacity start to be a part of the solutions? And also if there is any way for people to get involved or to help Wise for Africa in the incredible work that you do, if you could also elaborate upon that. Thanks, Robin. I think, you know, um, what we... We cannot afford to be scared in this country to challenge power. Um, and once you take on the South African police service, um, you know, I, th I think by now they 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 don't know what to do with us because we are on their on their case on a daily basis. And I think as citizens, uh, we have to demand um, a particular standard that the South African police service must must meet. And I did indicate on Friday that if you look at, if you go into a police station, and I like most of you to do so, eh, when you walk into a police station, you'll find a service charter and a code of conduct. Uh, so the service charter tells you about the service that you should expect from the South African police service. And, and I can tell you now on a daily basis, they are dismal in, that, in, in, in just adhering and maintaining that service that they themselves have uh, come up with and uh, and tell us as the public that this is what they're going to do. And once they fail you as, as a citizen, you have to take them on. And, and, and that's what we do. And like more South Africans to do that because you, you point them to, to, to their service and, and it's about right, you know, writing to the station commissioner, demanding answers because it's on the basis of your service that you have said so. Same as any other government department, any other private sector organization, demand accountability, demand answers. We have done so with many other organizations in the private sector where we have asked the questions. Once we, there's 
um, incidences of abuse reported, sexual harassment reported in a particular company, we take them on. Um, you know, um, I'll give you an example. We with the we walked in into Woolworths uh, a year ago, and we see a picture of a DJ that has been accused of harassment, um, sexual violation, and all of that. What we did was to write to Woolworths and say, please and make us understand if you are and you stand for uh, equality and you, 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 you frown upon gender-based violence and you are part of the declaration on gender-based violence and you are part of the national strategic plan. So you, you also have a stake in ensuring that we prevent gender-based violence. Why would you then find it acceptable to bring in a perpetrator to to you know into your store and and do adverts for you they understood what we were talking about they removed all of that so it requires activism on a daily basis and uh, and we should join hands because wives cannot do this alone it requires other people to amplify the voice and we need to amplify each other's voices so that there is power in the numbers and 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 changes can 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 come in because there is um, a, a a bigger voice demanding one accountability and demanding answers. Now, if I'm hearing you correctly, Brenda, you're you're basically suggesting a continuous awareness, correct? Right, which then leads to this kind of. Um, public participation that we as ASD are continuously promoting through the work that we do and the kinds of conversations as well um, that we try to curate. Because to a certain degree as well, implicitly maybe, what I'm hearing you're suggesting is that there's been a kind of desensitization in this country owing to the scourge of gender-based violence and how continuous it has been in our country, and what you're suggesting possibly is a constant vigilance that is responsive to calling out and basically documenting injustice where we are where, where we are confronted by it and where we encounter it, in order to be able to make others around us conscious of it as well. Am I am I correct in 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 reading you in those terms? Absolutely, you've nailed it. Thank you for that. Colleagues, um, this is the ASD session on legislating for change, women, democracy, and freedom. Um, I saw a hand earlier from Balesa. Balesa, I wonder if you would like to sort of chime in to the conversation. I saw that you had requested um, to sort of um, make a, a contribution. Please go ahead, colleague. Uh, hi, good evening, everybody. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please go ahead, colleague. Okay. Um, you know, I've got several um, questions, or let me say one of them is a question. In fact, there are questions um, posed to advocate uh, Brenda. Um, in 2018, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development heeded the call of the UN to set up, to, to establish a, what you call a femicide, a femicide watch in the African continent. I would like to find out what the progress is on that um, and if it has had any impact 
um, you know, we used to make a noise uh, about femicide, but it's all gone quiet, including me, who is supposed to be an active citizen. I just like to hear your 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 what for your take on it. And before you answer, I'd also like to find out um, the courts that have been specifically set up for um, gender-based violence. Uh, uh, what you call uh, court cases. Um, within this last two years, I'm going to say two years, uh, since the pandemic uh, uh, started, how um, are they progressing? Seeing as the court cases, uh, some of them are held virtually, but I've heard that uh, with uh, uh, generally the court role uh, changes has changed and many cases have been postponed. So I would like to hear your take on, on, on that in terms of progress during this time of the pandemic. Thank you very much. Brenda, before you go, I just want to also take a, a quick question from Bianca um, and then we can answer those three in, in one go. Bianca? Uh, good evening. Uh Okay, so I've actually got questions from someone that actually DM'd me the questions. Um, they, I think they're on the computer, so they don't have the speaking option. So first of all, is is the Commission of Gender Equality doing enough? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, the second question is, support for women who are suffering from GBV is often limited to legal services. And we need economic services to assist to exit environments like like shelters. And is there something like that in in process? And then um, also, this was a statement: we should move beyond equal status of women to redress within the social status of women. Thanks for that. Okay, so those were thank thanks. You. Thanks for that. I see Grace has a request. I'll just uh, if we could just allow Brenda to respond to these uh, remarks and questions. Grace, if you can just hang 10 for us, I'll come back to you, colleague. Brenda? All right, so let me deal with what Mayor Palisa raised, uh, two questions. One on the femicide watch and the, uh, I need to remember now, (laughs) or the courts during during this time, whether there's, you know. So let me deal with the, the last one. When, when lockdown was introduced last year in March, I mean, we already had cases in the system that required urgent attention from a protection order to the children's court, through all of that. So when that lockdown happened and it literally stopped everything, we had a challenge with women sitting um, in an uncertain environment. And, and we had to then fight and, and ensure that the uh, GBV and, and provision of GBV services are declared essential services because the decision makers not even think about that. So a group of men who are sitting in the command center didn't think about once they shut down the country with, without making provisions, what happens to the many women who were waiting to, 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 to move out of violent uh, homes or violent relationships and they had cases pending in, in, in different in different courts. So that was a challenge, but we fought it to the point where 
they had to include gender-based violence as an essential service, and we had to create the pathways on how those matters can be dealt with. The unfortunate thing with, with, with in this country at the moment is that in the high court, the courts can hear matters virtually. My straight courts, that is not happening. So you have to be physically present in all the magistrate courts in the country. And we have we and it's one point that we would like to have support from ADS because we have asked justice to ensure that you can now you have to do that with with with, with the magistrate courts because I mean a, a week ago or two, the matters could not be held be heard at the Randberg Magistrate Court because of a, a COVID scare and 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 judges and class did not did not come to work. And so what it does that if your matter has been set down in that week, you your matter will not be heard. So you you are now stuck. Um, so we have to push for a a a a, um, a, a virtual um, system so that magistrates can continue to do the their work, and you don't have these endless postponements that we have. Second to these postponements is that we have been trying to ask for or or or, or demand a time limit to how many postponements a matter can have, especially GBV cases, because you can't have a matter that gets postponed 10 times because you you of one reason and another, right? So our attitude is that once I report a case to the South African Police Service, they have to investigate and investigate thoroughly that they can hand over the docket to the prosecutor and the matter must be ready to, to to proceed in a court in the form of a trial and 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 there has to be adjudication and a conviction if there has to be a conviction. Well, justice in this country is delayed and it takes forever for for a, a, a rape victim, for instance, to find justice. You are told, I mean, we, we have been dealing with cases uh, on, on DNA. You 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 have seen it, <coughs> excuse me where they, the lab itself could not process DNA um, um, samples. So if I'm a rape victim and, and, I'm, uh, and my DNA has been submitted to the lab, I, you have cases of women who have waited for over a year for a DNA um, sample to be tested and for, the, and for that DNA results to be submitted to the prosecutor so that the matter can, can proceed. We, it's unacceptable, and we have raised hell on 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 that. That's why then there has been some some movement with with the left to ensure that uh, um, matters are, are addressed quickly and the left can 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 function and and give the the the, the results sooner rather than, than later. So there's there's the um the court system once the lockdown were reduced were were announced did uh, impact. On, on many cases that were, were before before the courts. And unfortunately, where we stand at the moment is that the magistrate courts have not been given the necessary tools and technology to ensure that cases can continue virtually in the event that they, there are challenges with, with physical physical hearings. On, on your second uh, question around the fem, femicide watch, I mean, you know, um, you... It's, 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 as I said, I mean, I think the, we do things to perform. So we'll announce uh, something like that, a, femi a, femi a femicide watch, 
and we will have a task team that is going to be looking at femicide. And that's what we have in, in the Department of Justice. They have a, famous, a femicide task team that is supposed to be looking at femicide cases in the country and to ensure that they receive attention and they adjudicate upon. We have not done much in, 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 into, into the continent. I mean, if you, if you just look at the continent and we are looking at the moment as wise at, at cases of the peacekeeping forces that were in the different countries where women and young children were raped and were left with children and with no consequences. And, and, and they, they, these women have to fend for themselves. And, and you would expect that the AU would have been in the forefront when they have a document when it talks about gender equality and strategy for the AU, and they've not dealt with, the, with, with, with these issues. And, and it's going to take civil society to fight uh, these cases. So Femis, uh, Femicide Watch, it, it, it will remain a watch uh, unless we push a civil society to ensure that, that uh, um, resources are put in and there's action uh, in, 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 in from the Justice Department to ensure that that femicide watch is is in is in place and and it starts to do its work. Um, so from the, the questions from Bianca, uh, you have to remind me now. Uh, <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. Okay. So so um, thank you. Uh, the one question was, do you think um, is the Commission of Gender Equality doing enough? No. So gender. Okay, so that's a simple yeah. And and I'll tell you why. So quickly, um, gender equality, Commission on Gender Equality, they get their their funding from the Department of Women. So the Department of Women's budget is not even over hundred million. So and the bulk of that money goes to the CGE. It takes CGE not less than a year to investigate a matter and come up with a report. I mean, we've got two matters sitting with the CGE that have taken over three years for them to finalize and 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 and, and you know and we have seen it I think today in, in the papers we, they're talking about how CGE is a mess. And it has been a mess for the longest of time. And I think civil society is is, is now you know standing up and trying to say we have to change how the CGE does its its work because there is political interference with their work. Um, you know how the commission, commissioners are appointed and, and politics come into being and the work gets compromised uh, in, 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 in the process. So we, we have to find a different way of, um, one, resourcing the CGE, but give, ensuring that the, the individuals appointed to the CGE as commissioners really focus on, on, on the work and, and not play politics with the, 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 the disputes that are referred to to the CGEs. So, yeah, that's one on the CGE. Thank you. Uh, the other two were just statements um, that said support for women who are suffering from GBV is often limited to legal services. We need economic services to assist to exit environments like shelters. So very true. I don't know if something like that exists. So, what, 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 so if you look at the National Strategic Plan, it's got uh, six pillars, right? The first pillar is around leadership and accountability. The second pillar is around prevention. The third is on justice and laws. Fourth is on care and support. The fifth is on economic power. It's about 
mm. moving women out of the dependency and be giving them the the economic tools to be able to fend for themselves and, and move out of shelters because shelters really are a temporary measure. And so, but we need to ensure that we 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 we, we afford women the opportunity to be economically independent. The, the 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 other issues around and this is what we we all have to be demanding answers into is the victim uh, support bill that is still stuck in the uh, um, development department of social development the victim support bill is about supporting the victims so you would you would see and it has been raised numerous times by victims and survivors of violence that I'm, I'm, I'm a victim and survivor of violence. There, there's no recourse for me once I am I'm raped or violated. I have to deal with the trauma and the harm inflicted on me on my own. But my perpetrator, if they are convicted, they're sitting in prison, they're receiving three-course meal, uh, and they even have the opportunity even to study in, in prison. But my trauma is not acknowledged and dealt with. And the victim support bill was meant to to do that and ensure that victims' rights are 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 observed and are, are, are given accordance in terms of, of the law and 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 there is recourse that comes uh, for for victims. Hmm. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for that, Bianca. Um, I had we had a hand from Grace, and I'm conscious of time, colleagues. We've just gone past the seven o'clock mark. So, Grace, if you could please pose your question or statement, and then we'll get a response uh, from both Robin and Brenda, um, and then we'll begin to sort of conclude tonight's discussion. Grace? Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I wanted to say something beforehand, but I was listening earlier, so I kind of forgot that. But I kind of have stayed away from the GBV conversation um, because I was almost raped, but it took my mother and my sister to sit me down uh, to tell me that my sister was actually raped, which is the reason why, by my father's brother, which is the reason why she left my father three months before I was born. And it took them having to see a Facebook status that I'd done where I'd say to my, the guy who tried to rape me when I was 11 had sent me a friendship request and I was angry about it. Anyway, long story short, I subsequently left Facebook. Um, I have been following Amanda Nguyen from the US. She was raped when she was at Harvard University in her second year. And she later lent on, uh, went on to learn that as she was pursuing her case, that her DNA kit would be destroyed within 10 years. And so she started um, this journey of trying to change legislation around DNA rape kits, ETC. And so far, I think she's got that um, passed as law and legislation in 33 states in the U.S. I've sort of been doing the same thing within the South African environment, but in an educate primary education perspective, because my passion is about financial inclusion and education in South Africa. And there's a lot of glitches in terms of what you can pass into law as legislation. And I just wanted to find out from a South African perspective in terms of gender-based uh, violence and how to protect women, what are the legislations that like the men are willing to pass on? Because let's be fair, uh, most of these governments um, 
um, are governed by mostly the majority men and women don't have much of a say. That's my first question within the South African context. And then within the AU context, um, I was listening to the other speaker that there is a femicide committee, um, gender, economic um, freedom that women need. What do people like me who uh, have full-time jobs but can give the resources in terms of time, maybe not financially to the value that you would expect from big organizations, but as communities that we can do to support the advancement of the prevention and restorative justice for our gender-based violence, how do we support? Because if the resources that you have are not enough, how do I, as Grace, as an outsider, who is also an insider, come in and support? And how do I rally the people around me to support? Is there a platform I can go to where there's women that need economic power given to them? We can help with upskilling. Um, what is it that we can do to help? And that's it. Thank you. Okay. Um they so you we all are aware that um there was a there was a a limit uh time limit on 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 cases rape cases that if you do not bring your your rape case within a specific time there you would not the matter will not if once you decide to to lay a charge and is over a certain period, you could not do that. So the, the time limit is gone. So um, if I'm raped today and I, I'm not ready to proceed and lay a charge and five years down the line or 10 years down the line, I decide that I want to do this, the law allows for the, for such to happen. Precisely because, and, and this is the, the challenge for me when we all demand that women should behave in a particular way. Right and not understanding that once I'm violated, the reaction and the response is different for all of us. That that those who would take time to to process what has happened to them, and we want to judge them on that because they decide to take to take the time to understand what has happened to them, and when they are physically, mentally, and emotionally ready, they can report um, uh, the case. So there's no time limit. You can report it 10 years from now. You can report it 15 years from now. It's allowed. Including the DNA, because then they store your, your DNA uh, uh, and they can't destroy the DNA. Um, and, 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 and I think what, what, you know, what, what is important also is that we need to start finding other alternative ways of how we store the evidence ourselves, right? Um, when I'm violated. So where do I store my pictures when I'm assaulted? Uh, can I store them with, a, can I give them to a friend uh, to store them uh, on their phone or any other um, tool that they can use so that once I have made the decision to proceed with the case, then I can retrieve retrieve that, that, that evidence. And I think it's important that we don't just rely on 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 state on the state or the government but also on our own how do we store this information so we there, there are tools uh if you look at the Vodacom bright sky app it it affords you the opportunity to store that information on on that app so that when once you are ready to report the case 
you can retrieve that information and give it over to the police for further investigation. Um, how do we help and 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 give support? Um, it, you know that there, there are many organizations in this country who are doing good work around the advancement of women around GBV. Um, and I think what is important is for us to know firstly who's doing what and and where they, they are located so that once I make the decision that I want to, to form part of that organization in one form or another, then I, 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 you can safely do so. So we can share with ADS um, a, a, uh, a database of the different organizations in the GBV space in particular. And, and we have mapped it quite nicely to just show you where you find them and what kind of services they provide. The majority of NGOs or civil society organizations in the, in the GBV space are in the care and support. So that's where you'll find shelters, you'll find uh, counseling services. Um, we, we, we have a challenge with um, on, 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 with, with finding civil society in, in, in the prevention side, in the uh, data and research side, and in the economic empowerment side on what are, what, what are the quick wins around upskilling the women in the shelters? And I think the one of the quickest um, and the low hanging fruit really is working with shelters because you, you have a captive um, audience there and the shelter because you find the women there and you can start to work with that shelter to start to skill, upskill the women in, in those shelters and we'll share the information of the many shelters that exist in the country. And, 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 and I suppose what is important is that the shelters are supposed to remain anonymous and, and confidential. And that's why we don't share that information um, just willy-nilly because we need to protect the women who then find themselves in, in the shelters. So it's important to work through the organization. They will then talk to you um, and, 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 and then, you know, bring you on board once they have had the conversation with you to ensure that we respect confidentiality and, and the privacy of the women that are found in those shelters. Thank you for those responses, um, Brenda. I, I, we really do appreciate them. And again, colleagues, I'm conscious of time as we're well past our demarcated or designated one hour. I'm going to ask, um, unfortunately, we can't take any further comments, colleagues, unfortunately. I'm going to ask uh, my host as well as our speaker to sort of just give us their parting shot in terms of in this particular year, what is it possibly that both of you would like to see us as a country doing differently as we celebrate Women's Day, as we continue to celebrate Women's Month? And how do we keep the conversation ongoing such that it isn't a tick box kind of exercise that we reserve only for the month of August? Robin, let me start with you. So I do want to say just to anyone who had hoped to ask a question, you are more than welcome to DM it to myself or to 
Brenda directly or even to ASD. And, you know, I don't think that this one thing is this shouldn't be the first and last time we have this, these kind of engagements. Um, it may be it may be the eve of Women's Day, which is, um, is a day I feel very ambivalent about for various reasons. But, you know, I think with a view towards education and active citizenry, having these kind of engagements is so imperative to not only bringing about the change that we need to start seeing, but also kind of to, to, to showing all of us that there is a way to get involved and there is a way to not only, you know, even if it's just amplifying these kinds of messages, if it's, if it's spreading awareness about the help that is available to victims. Um, in terms of what I hope to see, I mean... <laughs> Most simply put, I really would like to see some change. Often, you know, I, I was saying to, to both of you on, on Friday that every single year, I feel like since I was 18, there's been a, a protest against gender-based violence that, that I have to or I have taken myself off to. And I don't, I'm tired, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and for, you know, possibly for lack of a, a better way of phrasing it, but... I would like for us to start making some some headway for us to, you know, I mentioned various um, interventions and Brenda's obviously aware of far more, but for example, the Kyalicha Lighting Project, the, um, the studies that have been done in terms of improving access to safe and well-lit um, public toilets. These, these are very small things, but their ability to have positive, positive impact, not only on the communities that live around, but on women and in addressing violence. These are, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a no-brainer that if we've got people who are saying to us, to the government and to us as individuals, you know, to hold government accountable, these are very, very small steps that we can take that can start to play a role in a much bigger change. Obviously, it's not that easy. I wish it was. <laughs> I wish if it was as easy as putting up streetlights, I would be doing it myself. <laughs> but it's not. So the, what I'd like to start to see is change. And Brenda, how about you? Oh, man, I think there's a lot that all of us can do. So uh, let me start with on the men's side that we we expect uh you know, once there is, so if we were to make inroads in, in changing the the cultural practices, the norms and values that exist, is is for men themselves to start to call out bad behavior, right? And they have they must call it out in their numbers, irrespective of who the individual is. So we can't have favorites. And the favorites uh, are no-go area. So we have to be consistent and constant in how we address and tackle gender-based violence. That once I believe that, I believe in, 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 in fairness, I believe in equality, I believe in justice, that I cannot have a favorite. That once there's a violation, I stand up and raise my voice and then attend to it. So that's, for me, it's it's important that all of us do that, and and we don't we we don't we don't somersault and 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 choose today to be lukewarm. Tomorrow we are hot. Tomorrow we are cold. We we have to maintain a consistent constant temperature in dealing with this thing, and have we have to fire on on all cylinders. So that's that 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 for me 
is is critical. And I, I I would want to see more men standing up and 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 calling out bad behavior, right? Um, so that w- once once we start to hear from most men saying this is wrong and not not sanitizing. I mean, I, I shared with you, uh, Robin and and Spinner that you know we appeared before the commission of uh, um, the CCMA, by the way, and the commissioner just struggled to say to say the word sexual harassment because it was like a, you know a foreign um, swear word to him that he was he could not say it. But you are a commissioner. You have a sexual harassment matter before you, uh, and that makes you uncomfortable, right? And so we, 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 we so we, the, the, we need to continue to make each other uncomfortable. But as we make each other uncomfortable, there must be action uh, that produces positive results. Secondly, I think we have to continue um, to invest in creating awareness and educating. And the education cannot um, just be once off. It's, 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 it's constant, constant, constant engagement with South Africans at different, different places, whether it's in the church, whether it's in schools, whether it's in universities, whether it's in the workplace the conversation must 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 continue and unfortunately the conversation sometimes will continue because some woman has been violated or a, 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 a gay lesbian or queer individual has been violated and that triggers the conversation but we cannot wait for a headline news on national television for us to be enraged and outraged we have to be outraged every day in this country so that so for justice to prevail for the many women who are victims and survivors of violence. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brenda. Um, and thank you as well to um, my co-host, Robin. Um, thank you to our listeners and to those who joined us this evening for such an incredible conversation, such a stimulating conversation. Um, as we all know, we are the Alliance for Social um, of social of social democrats, and we host these conversations every Sunday from six to seven. Apologies for over uh, what is it uh, for going over the time allocation, colleagues, but I do believe we were ventilating exceptionally crucial and important issues. This conversation, of course, continues next week on this very same platform at the same time. And next week we will have some cool and interesting contributors as well. Thank you very much to our guest, uh, um, Advocate Brenda. Thank you so, so much, really, for revealing yourself both on Friday afternoon as well as this evening for such an incredible conversation. Robin, I wonder if you've got some parting thank thoughts you. from me. Colleagues, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you, everyone. Thank you. And have thank a good you, night. Brenda. Have Not a only good did night. you blow my mind on Friday, but you blew my mind this evening. <laughs> thank you to everyone who listened. And please do go watch the YouTube video on our channel if you are able to. I'll share the link on my Twitter. And otherwise, we'll chat to you all next week.